Today's date is October 21st, 2019. And our show is about who we really are and our identity in Christ. We know that it's one of the elementary subjects that most Christians don't fully understand. And it is the most powerful key for spiritual breakthrough. For Jesus clearly said in his word that if you continue in his word, we would know the truth and that truth would set us free. Well, that's one of my favorite scriptures. Eight, John 8, 32. And ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Because knowing the truth is what pushes out the lies, the deception. Right. So if you don't embrace the truth and absolutely know it, then the deception and the lies get in there and they jump in your head and they play havoc. That's right. And they cause you to be in bondage. Yeah, they do. Because the opposite of truth is deception or false beliefs. That's right. So you have to believe the truth, accept it, and walk in the truth. If you claim to be unworthy of the blood of Christ and... Um, then you are denying the work of Christ in your in your life. So you need to say that you are worthy because the blood of Jesus has made you worthy. Yeah, and let me just be clear. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian. In fact, you are a Christian. In fact, you are saved. You not, just have a wrong belief. Yeah, you don't believe you are. Or you believe that you did something so egregious that you can't be forgiven for it. Therefore, what happens is you become ineffective because Satan comes and roosts in your mind the battlefield is always in your mind. If it, you feel sickness in your body, it's only as a result of what has already happened in the mind. Mm -hmm. It's always in the mind. Yeah, see, and our dog is getting excited over that truth. She's just singing hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It says here um, that you are loved by God, the Father. Not because of what you've done, but because of who you are. The Bible tells us that while we are at sinners, Christ died for us. And he longs to have a relationship with us before we even before we even his child. Romans five eight says, "But God commendeth his love toward us, that in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us." And this is kind of hard to get in your mind around, but it's true. God loves us with the same love that He had towards Jesus Himself. And here's a passage in Scripture that says that John seventeen twenty three says, "I and them and thou and me, but that." that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that thou hast set, sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. So Jesus says the greatest love a man can have is, is uh, to show for his friends is when he lays down his own life for him. Jesus laid down his life for us. This is how valuable and dear we are to him. In John 15, 13, it says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. In fact, it says, If we don't realize the love of God, we cannot be filled with the fullness of God, and we will lack his fullness in our lives until we come to know of his deep love for us. And this is where I insert my agape teaching. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know exactly where it's at, but we know perfect love, perfect agape, complete agape casts out fear. I think that's in First John. Okay, and then the fear is that you're not saved, or the fear is that you are uh, going to be appointed to wrath or torment. So if you fear hell in the future, then the demons get in your head and give you a little hell right now mm -hmm. when you live. And they make life a living hell. And it's all based on your thought process and how you think. So 
when you understand God's complete love for you, what God has done for you through Christ is complete love. That complete love does remove, expel, and throw out any fear or phobia of wrath or eternal torment. Mm -hmm. So that's always true, even if you don't think it's true. So if you don't think it's true, you just open your mind up to a nest, right. the demonic nest. But you can't negate the fact that it's true, that it's a fact. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's important to understand who you really are, your identity in Christ. Because when you're fighting uh, the enemy, you have to fight from a position of advantage. Right. So if you're already defeated because you think you're worthless or a sinner or going to hell or you can't be forgiven, you're already in a position of disadvantage. Mm -hmm. And then it's really hard to come up after that. Yeah, that's a position of weakness. <laughs> yes. I like the scripture in Ephesians 3.17 that says, That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Mm -hmm. It says um, <coughs> also that we have been purchased with a price. The wages of your sin is death, but Jesus paid that price for you. God's word tells us that we are purchased by his precious blood, the precious blood of the Lamb. In 1 Corinthians 6.20 it says, For ye were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And that's why we always say we are not our own anymore. We mm -hmm. belong to God. So we are commanded to believe and do the works that God has told us to do. Revelation says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou was slain and hast redeemed, which means purchased, us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. So that means the whole world. Um, Christ died for every single person. And those that believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And why did Jesus purchase us with his own blood? Because of his deep love for us, and he deeply desires to have a loving relationship with us. Romans 5, 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, that in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that means that we could not do we couldn't do anything to make God love us. He just loved us even before we were made righteous in Christ Jesus. That's important to know who you are because your salvation was purchased at a very, very steep price. Yes, that's true. And it has nothing to do with you or your works or how you behave. Or who you are. Doesn't matter that you're in the Rotary Club. <coughs> or that you're a Baptist, mm -mm. or a Catholic, or anything like that. It doesn't matter who you are. What matters is that God loved you way before the foundation of the world. Yeah. So you have to know that, because that's what gives you your, your position of power. That's right. And you are justified and you're declared innocent, because if you've repented of your sins and you've accepted the precious gift of God, the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Christ, then God word, God's word tells us that we are justified. In Galatians 2.16 it says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith, by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. We're justified by uh, the faith of Jesus Christ. 
Christ's faith that he gives us mm -hmm. to believe in him. You know? So you're justified, which means you're acquitted. That's right. Period. So there's, after your salvation, there's nothing so egregious that you can do that's going to pluck you out of the hand of God. You know, notwithstanding complete apostasy and turning reprobate, but that's something totally different. That's a total rebellion and denial and rejection. Yeah. So, but if you come to Christ and you've accepted Him as your uh, Savior and you've asked Him to forgive you of your sins, then you are neither apostate or reprobate. No, exactly, exactly. So the word justified in the above passage, we're talking Galatians two sixteen. Is derived from the Greek word dakio, which means to render, that is to show or regard as just or innocent, free, justified, to be righteous. If a person is justified, it means they are made innocent or made just as if they have never sinned. So the next point, because of that, is a clean conscience. Since our sins have been put away and removed from us, and we are justified, that is, that we are made right with God, you and I are entitled to a clean and undefiled conscience. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, offered himself without spot to God, purging your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And that word purge means to cleanse or concentrate, consecrate, ah, consecrate um, your conscience. So, if you keep beating yourself over past failures, which have been nailed to the cross, you are denying the work that Christ has done for you. And a clean conscience before the Lord agrees with what Christ has done in removing their sin and declaring them as justified or innocent before the Lord. Well, see, that is, you know, you're entitled to a clean conscience. And see, that's where the condemnation box comes in. So when the lies come and they tell you anything different, you end up in a place where you're condemned. So it doesn't matter what the lie is, what it says you did or you didn't do, or God doesn't love you or you're not saved or the Holy Spirit isn't with you or he doesn't love you as well as he loves other people or because I have this particular issue or that particular issue must mean that I'm not um, as good as a Christian or I'm not as loved. I mean, it goes on and on. Sure. But the end result is, when you finally open your eyes, you find yourself in a cage. And written around that whole cage says condemned. Mm -hmm. You are condemned to something. So before that happens, before any of that happens, when the lie comes to your head, you have to ask yourself, is this from God or is this from Satan? Mm -hmm. And you might ask yourself, how do I know? Because if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And that Holy Spirit guides you into all truth. That's right, because he is the spirit of truth. He's the spirit of truth. And so you're going to know when it's God language. Plus, it doesn't take a rocket science to know that if a lie comes to you and says, God just doesn't love you as much as he loves that other person because I have psoriasis. Right, And if God loved me, he would take away my psoriasis. It doesn't take a genius to go, is that God language or devil language? Well, that's not God language. God's not going to speak like that, and you can't justify that in the Word. It's not truth. It's not true, number one. You can't fit it into biblical truth as far as what Christ has done for you. 
and you can't find it scripturally to back up. See, the devil, the devil will quote scripture to you, and it's usually out of it's out of context. The devils know the Bible. They know the words, but they do not know the spirit behind it. That's why they were able to say stupid things to Jesus, and Jesus was able to refute it with the spirit behind it. They don't understand those spiritual things. They don't understand those things. Mm -hmm. But they will use scripture against you. That's right. And normally, what I have found is that when the devil gives you scripture, and it tries to take you away from God, then you know it's being misused. Because only the scripture that's coming from the Holy Spirit will draw you to God. That's right. So if you had a dream, and the dream says, all it says to you in the dream is you have left your first love. It quotes Revelation 2, the, uh, where Christ is talking to the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation. That's all it quotes. You have left your first love. There's nothing else to it. And you might wake up and go, is that God language or devil? Language? You might not even question it because it's scripture. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not the Holy Spirit. Where does that road lead you? If, if you says you've left your first love and you don't know what that first love was. You, well, it's not conviction of the Holy Spirit. No. Because if a conviction draws you to God, yeah. con- condemnation takes you away from God. And so this particular instance would draw you away from God. Yeah. And there's nothing for you to correct. The conviction of the Holy Spirit would convict you gently of some sin that you're doing. That's right. Like you can't, you can't be do, you can't be angry like that. <clears throat> you can't do that. That's not. <clears throat> you need to wrap it down. That's not <clears throat> of me to do that. You know, you can't. So it's a specific sin with a specific. Uh, remedy. Yes, yes, I like that. It's, it has a remedy to it. When the Holy Spirit convicts you, there's a remedy. It's not just an overall, hey, you're doing something wrong. It's specific to guide you into, into that truth. Don't do this. Don't let that happen to you. Don't fall into this. Don't fall, right? But condemnation will always lead you into a cage that says condemned. So if you have some dream that says you've left your first love, without further ado, number one, dreams are weird. Just because you dream a dream and it's a scripture or you see angels or how, doesn't mean it's true. It's of God. Dreams really have to be questioned. Um, you know, my rule of thumb is if you don't have the interpretation within 24 hours, then forget it. When in doubt, throw it out. Because God is not here to play games with you and keep you guessing. He's going to give you what he's trying to tell you. Right. You know, it's not going to keep you guessing. So that's just one example of how something could come to you in a scripture. The other thing would be, okay, I got a thought in my head that says, I'm going through this persecute this trial, right? Because God wants to chastise me because he doesn't want me to perish with the rest of the world. Right, so you think, wow, that's true. God doesn't want me to perish, which is true. But God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes should not perish and have everlasting life. So to think that God is giving you some kind of chastisement so you don't perish with the world, you can't perish with the world because you're not of the world. That's right. You see how subtle those lies are? Yeah. They're lies of the enemy, and they will keep you in bondage and condemnation. So um, it can never go down that route. 
Mm -hmm. It can never be massaged. Right. You know. And then once we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, then our sins are no longer a part of us. The truth is that your sins have not simply been covered, but actually removed from your account. And this was not possible in the Old Testament, but through the precious blood of Christ, the removal of sins is a reality. In John 1.29, um, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, and what does he say? He says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, and that harkens back to Exodus and the, um, the uh, Passover. And then Matthew 26.28 says, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And the word remission means freedom or deliverance from sin. And if forgiving us wasn't enough, God himself chose to forget our failures for his own sake. When he sees us, he doesn't want to remember our sin or our failures. He wants to see us as his precious child who stands blameless before him. And in Hebrews 10:17 it says, And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. So we, he does, when he forgives us of our sins, he doesn't remember them anymore. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's thrown into the deepest sea. And we were talking about the other day, like in Revelation, in the new, in the new world, in the new earth, there's no more sea. And I've always, mm -hmm. often wondered about that. And then I came across that uh, one scripture that says that um, God will throw our sins into the deepest oceans. Mm -hmm. And so then I thought, well, maybe that's why God doesn't make the seas in the... Uh, we don't have to see in, in heaven anymore. Yeah, nothing, nothing to throw in the world. <laughs> but yeah, once you're acquitted, and you, if you keep going back to the court, God's court, and bringing up your sin, or forgive me, forgive me for this, you know, your past sin, it's kind of like, how come this person keep, who's letting this person in, and, and, and just keeps yelling at the court? I don't even remember, I don't even know what they're talking about. Because mm -hmm. Jesus is standing there going, I already paid that price. Mm -hmm. You know, I already paid that price because I loved them. You know, it was um, not just like paying somebody's ticket. But he did it with love. Did, yeah. Mm -hmm. And now we have peace with God. We have been justified and we've been made right with God. Therefore, we have peace with him. This means that our relationship with God has been restored. And you can boldly enter his presence with a clean conscience because of your faith in Christ Jesus and the work that he's done for us on the cross so before we became saved there was a bridge or there was a gap between us where we could not where there was no reconciliation to God but because of Jesus his blood and the work that he did on the cross that bridge was um, rectified Jesus is actually the, the bridge that connects us to God the Father yeah and Romans 5 1 says therefore being justified or acquitted by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we did a study on this, or a show on this, where it says, therefore being acquitted by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Where we had the comma. Yeah, that's right. Behind justified. Because that, we're not justified by faith, we're justified because of the blood of Jesus. If we're being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, not therefore being justified by faith. Um, because we're justified by Jesus Christ. That's right. So then we have the faith. That was in our acquittal show, I believe. Yeah, which is really which is very similar. So then we're clothed. We're clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So as believers, there's a great exchange that has taken place. 
one of the things exchanged for our sin for Jesus' own righteousness. And um, Romans 3.22 says, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, there is no difference. And I like that. We were reading already some scriptures that says that it's by the faith of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so it's by faith that we are saved, mm -hmm. and um, which is a gift yeah. of God. Mm -hmm. faith. faith of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So Romans 3.25 says, Whom God has set forth to be appropriation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. So then there's that word remission again, which means freedom or deliverance of our sins. Mm -hmm. Romans 5.17 says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, which is Adam, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, is Jesus Christ. Jesus received what we deserved, which was punishment for our sins. This morning he just didn't pay a price, like, you know, he didn't give gold or silver. You know, he, he got punished for in our stead. Mm -hmm. And so he gave us his righteousness in exchange of that. So to listen, really, to listen to any other lie, ugh. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, doesn't negate what he did for you, but it just certainly destroys your ability to, you know, properly, properly live, you know, as a Christian. And when we become saved, we are made new in Christ. We are born again, or born of God. We're not just forgiven sinners by grace, because um, that actually denies the work of God that's been done in us. We are not just forgiven sinners, but we're forgiven sinners or saints. So in other words, God's words tells us that we are new creatures in Christ. The old things have passed away, and all things have become new. So we're not just forgiven sinners because we're not sinners anymore. We're yeah. creatures in Christ. Jesus. Yeah, we become new. You're not just like an old sinner saved. You know, you're not just some old sinner just saved. You actually become a new creature. That's mm -hmm. what you have to embrace. And that's found in Second Corinthians five seventeen. It says, "Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new." Because mm -hmm. when you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you believed upon him, you became a new creation in Christ. God's word tells us that this new creation is created in righteousness and true holiness. See, so that's just the opposite of being condemned. That's right. Yeah. Ephesians 4.24 says, And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And the word put on means to sink, sink into a garment. So we're actually clothing ourselves with the new man, which is after righteousness and true holiness. Yeah. We are just born again. We also have to become sons and daughters of God. Yeah. John 1, 12 through 13 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power, or the exousia, the authority, to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So if we are born again, it is because of God's will. His yeah. will is why we are born again. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens to the... Um, to the old us. Yeah, what happens to the when old? We become crucified with Christ, yeah. and God didn't repair the old you. He created a new you in Christ. 
which is what the Bible refers to when talking about being born again. And that reminds me of um, everything that God does. Mm -hmm. Everything God does is make things new. He doesn't fix things. He makes things new. John 3, 5, 7 says, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. And then, of course, Galatians 2.20, which is my favorite, one of my favorite scriptures, but um, says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And this is referring to our spirits, not our souls. Mm-hmm. Um. You're seated with Christ, which is a position of authority. <clears throat> so that's where you want to fight from. You don't want to fight from a position of weakness. Mm -hmm. So in order to be, uh, you've got strength dealing with this stuff, you have to realize where you, who you are in Christ and where you're seated. So because many people don't realize what this means. To be seated refers to a place of authority. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, and God's word tells us that we are seated with Christ. That's huge. Mm -hmm. So Ephesians 2, 6, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So I didn't make it up. Paul wrote that. So because of our position in Christ, we're seated in a place of authority over all sickness, diseases, and demons. Right? Mm -hmm. Jesus said that signs and wonders would follow them who believe, including casting out demons, which requires authority. And you can see that in Luke 10, verses 17 and 20. Uh, so, I mean, this really makes sense. It really does. Because if you don't see, if a person doesn't see their position in Christ and see that they have a position of authority over diseases and demons and stuff, this is where the, the, the authority comes to cast them out. So if you don't see that, then you don't see that you have the authority and they don't have to leave. They don't have to do anything. Even though you do have the authority, you're not, you don't know how to exercise it. You've been deputized, but you left your gun in the car. <laughs> right? Uh, Mark 16, 15 through 18 says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these things shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. But that's conditional to those who believe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Those who believe. Now, you could be a believer and be saved in Christ, but then you quit believing in your authority or you let the devil lie to you, you're still a believer, but these signs aren't going to follow you because you're going to be hindered mm -hmm. because you don't believe you have that authority. I mean, that's how important it is. Yeah. So, who shall these signs follow? Those that believe. Those that believe. That includes all true followers of Christ that are alive on the earth right now. Take a look at the passage in Revelation 5, 9 through 10. It says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to, to God by thy precious blood, 
out of every kindred, tongue, and people, and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. That's pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. The truth is we don't need to ask God to heal somebody. We can speak with authority over that sickness and command it to flee in Jesus' name, saying, so one is just, one's like a position of being a victim, the other one's a position of authority. If we can command those broken bones to grow. We can command because we have authority. This is the standard practice in the early church when the followers of Christ were going out and healing the sick. The same is true when it comes to demons. We don't need to ask God to remove the demons. But we rather take up the authority that Christ has given us and exercise it through faith using Jesus' name. And that's true, and that's all fine and dandy, but you've got to know your position in Christ to have that faith to do that. If they come in there and they can put that doubt, then it's really hard to do that because you don't feel like you... Well, you're under a condemnation box. Mm-hmm. Anytime you're under condemnation, you can't fight. And the uh, and did you know that the only reference to prayer for healing is in the New Testament found in James 5.15? The rest of the New Testament tells us of how Jesus, his disciples, and the early church would exercise their faith when they went forth to heal the sick. Sick. They weren't asking the Father to heal the sick. They were saying things like, be healed in the name of Jesus, or rise and walk. That's they were true. using their authority on earth that um, their posi- that the position they hold up, they held in um, being seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Yeah. At the right hand of God. Yeah. And usually the right hand means power or authority. Yeah. And that's true. They were never like, Lord, just just heal. Please heal this brother. Lord, just Lord, just touch him right now. Just bring your mercy on. You know, it was always in the name of Jesus. Rise and walk. There was power there. And um, you know, that came, you know, they 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 got granted the power when Jesus was walking on the earth and he was with them. But after he left and they tarried so many days up in the uh, upper room until the Holy Ghost came. Then they got filled with the Holy Spirit for power in witnessing the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You get the Holy Spirit when you receive Christ. Christ comes in your heart, convicts you of sin, the Holy Spirit there guides you. But if you want power to really be a witness effectively and to cast out demons and to teach and to really be effective, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's right. Which evidence is speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm. In the heavenly language. Yeah. Matthew 21, 18 through 22 says, Now in the morning as he returned into the city, and this is Jesus, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. The important part, you know, really in all that, I mean, you can read that and gloss over it as much as you can and go, yeah, I'm never going to move a mountain. <laughs> I'm certainly never going to cast a, you know, curse a fig tree. But, you know, there's a mountain right out here. I'm not going to move that. Why would I move that? You know, I mean, why? 
you know, so you got these things in your life, and you know, oh, God, take it away, blah, blah, blah. Is that going to move that? But really the key here is um, all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. That's right. So it's a faith. You really have to, you really have to believe. So if the enemy can attack that belief in any way, mm-hmm. in any way, like, um, you know, everybody else could get healed but me. I have a special, I have a special lupus. My lupus is different and I can't be healed of my lupus or so any, any of that, just, you know, like Jesus says, it takes you know, like a grain of mustard seed. You can say to that mountain, go hence to there. I think the opposite is true. The grain of doubt will prevent that, mm-hmm. you know? And so Satan is all about doubt. It's all about fear. And the opposite side of that coin is doubt. That's how it operates. Yeah. That's something to really be aware of. So if we don't realize who we are in Christ, our faith will be crippled. If you don't feel worthy to exercise your authority in Christ, then you won't be doing it in the fullness of faith and will lack assurance. Satan works diligently to program people's minds to feel unworthy and unable to walk in the power of God here on earth. Yes. And remember, he is the one that kills, steals, and destroys. This is one of the most popular strongholds in existence today in the body of Christ. The truth is that we, by our own power and effort, are unworthy. But it is the blood of Christ that makes us worthy. And if we say we are unworthy when the blood says we are, then we are denying the work that Christ did for us on the cross. That's heavy, man. Well, yeah, that's... You don't want to deny the work of Christ, but but it's it's absolutely true. Well, there's no other way around it. You know, when if Christ has redeemed you, his blood has made you worthy, his blood has given you the authority, you're seated, you're clothed with righteousness, but a demon tells you otherwise and you listen to the demon, <laughs> what are you, you you're, you're really denying it to see the attack is the attack is on the Christian, right? It makes a Christian ineffective. They can't Satan can't take away your salvation. All that stuff doesn't take away your salvation. You go out and get hit by a bus, you just died a miserable Christian. But it can't take away your salvation, right? But what it does do, it makes you miserable and it makes you ineffective. But the real attack is on God himself. The real attack is on the work of God mm-hmm. through his son, Jesus Christ. That's where the attack is because it's it's trying to negate that that benefit, that faith you had in your life and it negates it with a lie mm-hmm. any lie it could be any lie you, you can think of dozens of lies but when you follow where it ends it always end, ends in a cage that says condemned you'll always be condemned by satan always it will never take you anywhere else that lie when it comes to things like this yourself i'm not talking about you know other deception where you know Ellen White, you know, the devil comes to her and levitates her and she thinks she's, you know, a prophetess or I don't know, whatever. But I'm talking about when things, when it comes to your salvation and who you are in Christ, your authority. That's right. It's still a deception. The way you slice it. Mm-hmm. Yes. One of and we just ways. pray for our listeners, to anyone that are that is having trouble um, accepting their identity in Christ Jesus. We come against the lies of the devil and we bind him in the name of Jesus and we pray and we loose the Spirit of God 
or the spirit of the, the individual, the believer, to receive the truth of God's word and that they would be steadfast and, um, and strong in Christ. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So that's it. So that concludes our teaching. We hope it's a blessing. And we say ciao, babies. Good night.